Welcome back, everybody, for another thrilling, exciting, and massively awesome show. <laughs> I'm Nick the Meatbart, overselling as always. And with me again is Mr. Rockford Files, Mr. Eddie's. He's talking about my T-shirt. <laughs> Looks groovy. Had to wear a retro T-shirt. You know, I got a, um, this is Daryl, by the way. Try to remember how our voices sound so you can tell us <laughs> apart, because apparently we sound very similar. Exactly the same. Uh, I got the, it was, it was, um, on the web as Nagelish Boba Fett. Really? Meaning, you know, Nagel, the guy who's most famous for that they grabbed some of his art for the cover of the Rio album by mm. Duran Duran. Excellent artist. So there's Boba Fett rendered, uh, in a Nagelish, uh, style. Wow. What's Nagel's first name? I keep wanting to say Patrick. I keep wanting to say Charles. <laughs> Charles Nagel Riley. Oh my god! <laughs> Oh, am I kicking cord? Yeah, I was just going to move so you don't have to worry about that. Uh, I, we probably should explain the layoff. I struggled with this, so but I got to thinking about it, and maybe you want to know, and so rather than being all mysterious about it, uh, we've had deaths in uh, both both houses. We've had three deaths, I think, between both houses. Uh, my uh, uh, beloved uncle and then father-in-law passed away within uh, two weeks of one another. And so we've just been kind of dealing with that kind of stuff, but now we're back on the train and ready to roll on. Here we are. Now, just since you have the, the shirt for the Rockford House, have you seen it recently? Yes. And is it as good as you thought it would be? Yes. Okay. Because I, I remember as a kid watching it, and I had that kind of like, I don't want to watch it because my parents are watching it, but I kind of like, I like Jim Garner, mm-hmm. so I, I, I thought of watching it again to see how I liked it. Actually, say same thing here, because when that thing was on, when we were kids, it was in syndication, and you, you pretty much could not turn on the TV without finding somebody showing it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at that point, you know, we were 80s kids, you know, and it was bright colors, and it was day glow, and the Rockford Files, like everything else that was on TV Pierce. in the 70s, is brown. Oh, yeah. Very, very brown. <laughs> it's a very brown TV show. And just visually, I found, found it unappealing as a kid, mm-hmm. and so I didn't watch it, but... Historically, it's known as one of those shows that never jumped the shark. It's like really? on that, on that hmm. short list of shows that never jumped the shark. And so, how many seasons were there? Do you know? Five. Wow. Uh, six. No, six. The the sixth season was a short season, though. Um, and uh, so I went back and started watching it uh, several years ago. And yes, it is a thoroughly entertaining TV show. Now, <laughs> now that I'm older, I kind of like the brown. You know. <laughs> It's calm. It's soothing. What can Brown do for you? I was I was watching an episode <laughs> of Starsky and Hutch a few months ago, and I actually started I started counting the shades of brown in this one particular scene. It was in the chief's, uh, or not the chief, but the commanding officer Doby was in his office, and between like the paneling and the desk and the furniture and the clothes the guys were wearing, there was like seven shades of brown in this wow. one scene. I don't know what the seventies. They <laughs> loved their brown, man. Wow, that is that is very weird. <laughs> but you know, growing up in Worthington, there was a lot of brown. That's what I associate. <laughs> I would not have thought that. Well, everything was done in wood, so everything. But it, it was wood, and then it was all stained to a dark, uh, you know, uh, a very 
heavy wood texture. So I, you know, whenever I, when I think of my childhood, I think of growing up in that area where <laughs> everything is dark wood, dark brown. Isn't Worthington the kind of town where they have like ordinances where the McDonald's has to look like a French chateau? It can't look like a McDonald's. <laughs> they, they can be a bit uppity there. <laughs> a bit. So today we are talking about, we've titled the episode, I've Been Meaning To. <laughs> and these are artists, either new or old, that uh, somehow just kind of slip through the cracks, and so then you've gone back and tried to catch up. Is that an easy way to yeah, explain Yeah, that's it? a good way. And so I know, like, for my list, it encompasses some newer stuff, although my definition of new is older than most. <laughs> <laughs> but a lot of old stuff. So yeah. you probably have got a lot of newer stuff because you're Mr. Uh, streaming Audio, and so you're listening to... <laughs> I try and listen to lots of new and old, but Which, I mean, you know... We, prob- we probably should follow up quickly, too. When we talk about streaming audio, it makes me think of the time that we listened to the, the new Van Halen record. Oh, yeah. And so following up on our most popular show ever, the Van Halen show, did you hear all, all the dates they canceled? Oh, I didn't. They've, dan- they've canceled like 30 shows. Oh, that's uh, too bad. Pretty much everything after June 26th, so including the Cleveland show, has been canceled. And the, the, the rumors, of course, are that uh, they just can't stand each other. I'm not surprised because that's pretty much how the uh, the 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 Roth era has always been tumultuous. Mm-hmm. But did you did you listen to the album? Did you buy the album? Or? I didn't, did not end up buying the album. It's good. I mean, it really sounds like a good classic Van Halen Roth era album. Mm-hmm. And wow, if if, if they're they are, you know, having troubles getting along together. It doesn't come off in the music. I mean, it really sounds good. But I remember saying on our most popular show ever, <laughs> Van Halen fans, enjoy this because it's you're not getting another comeback album. Yeah. And it's starting to look like that's going to be true. Well, hey, maybe it'll lead to a, a Sammy da- or a Sammy Hagar reunion <laughs> Sammy <album>. Davis. <laughs> now that would be funny. <laughs> I'm your ice cream man. Catch me when I'm passing by. All my flavors are guaranteed to satisfy. <laughs> Babe. <laughs> uh, for all you younger folks in the audience, that can't happen because Sammy Davis is dead. Of course. His last eye lives on somewhere. It's probably in a, in a box in a museum. So this was your topic. We've already veered off of it, but this was your topic. I've been meaning to. So what were you meaning to listen to that you did, and then what happened? Um, well, I'll go with one uh, recently that the uh, I using the streaming music service Mog M O G, which uh, yeah, we've just been enjoying the hell out of Laurel and I both. We just you know abuse the hell out of it by listening to so much music on it. Um, but one of those things that I always meant to listen to more than uh, I heard the singles for the Grateful Dead, but I never listened to albums. So, you know, now that I have access to every album they ever put out, which is an insane amount of albums because they have the studio albums, but then they had these things called Dick's Picks. Yes. Where, and I'm not exactly sure, he, I think he's a historian, but I'm not sure if he's anything other to the band. But he basically goes through and picks out, you know, great, uh, you know, soundboard recordings from throughout their years, and then they release them. And when I was working at a record store, you know, shit. 
15 years ago. <laughs> they first out, they put out the first two. Uh, I remember those because they had these like uh, red cover with uh, dark lines on them. Uh, black lines and but they now have like 50 or 60 volumes of those things i remember when they first started doing that i think they put out like two volumes and and they were kind of billed as this treasure trove mm-hmm. for fans and you're never going to hear anything like it again and then now yes they're i mean they just they kept putting them out yeah now now the treasure trove well granted they have been playing you know for a ridiculously long amount of time yeah. so there's probably lots of good shows but i like you know, a, a jam band on occasion, and I like their musicianship. And um, we want to go see the Rock Hall just added a Grateful Dead exhibit, so I was thinking, you know, good thing to, you know, uh, learn about them before I go see the exhibit since we missed the uh, opening night preview for Rock Hall members. Uh, they had a... Uh, you got in free or got in early to see the uh, exhibit, and then they had a uh, concert for Mickey Hart. Would have liked to have seen that. But. That would have been cool. Why couldn't you make it? Uh, well, when Laurel's dad passed, she was in uh, Arizona at the time mm-hmm. of it happening. So luckily she made it back in time so that we could go to the Rock Hall inductions. But okay. Yeah. We were both, yeah, unfortunate. But it was, uh, it got me, you know, to listen to the Grateful Dead some more and, they really are excellent musicians. I mean, you know, they, they have that, you know, the concept of Grateful Dead is, it, it seems like a great marketing scheme. You know, I mean, they are iconic. They are well marketed. You know, they have, you know, Jerry Garcia branded ties. Everyone knows their logo. Kiss for hippies. Yeah, exactly. But as with Kiss, I find their music good and, you know, I I now see the same thing with Grateful Dead is that they just are really good musicians. It's interesting you mention this because I actually um Grateful Dead was one of those bands too that that I tried to get into. Um Nick and I were talking uh, off air before we started what I've been doing a lot over the last probably eh, 3 to 5 years. Instead of even trying to get into any new music, there's a lot of artists in my lifetime that I missed for whatever reason, and so I've gone back and started doing some deep dives into that. And the Grateful Dead was one of them, and so I, you know, with them it's always where do you start? Yeah. And I am a big believer that you always start with a studio album, even for a band like the Grateful Dead that is known for being a live act. What I'm wary of with live recordings is. The way that the sound is captured, whether it's good or bad, can reflect so strongly on the actual performance. Mm-hmm. So if if a great show is poorly recorded, you can still miss how great of a show it was. And since so many of the Dead's live stuff are fan recordings, I just didn't want to start there. So I started with a studio album, the one that I started with, and this took a while, too, to kind of whittle down which one do you start with. Yeah, I right. went with that one that's really hard to pronounce that is a palindrome. That the, Amoxa what, something. Uh, yeah, amoxicillin. Um, <laughs> and uh, I found it to be very snoozy country music. Mm, yeah, I could see that. And was And stopped. I was like, really? This is it. <laughs> this is it, huh? Okay, well, next... So your experience has been different then, obviously. Well, I um, I did pick out a couple of uh, later era. I think, and I'm, Lord knows I am not an expert on this one, but I think that that one was more in the earlier vein, and I think they, they, they to me it seemed like they 
uh, started to get to a more um, singles place. I mean, if you think of, you know, like Casey Jones or, um, wow, Sugar Magnolia or something, it seems like those were in the later area. Parking. Uh, like, you know, mid, mid late 70s, you know, uh, American Beauty is mm-hmm. a, and, um, Working Man's Dead. And so I went to that era to start and to listen to, you know, and I think those were more, were less countryfied and more pop oriented. Hmm. And so when from that, that's when I went into the live things going, okay, so I, I, that was the part I knew them from because I had, you know, uh, my brother had bought, uh, Lord of Long Strange Trip it was from like, uh, Columbia Records back when we were, you know, 15. So I remember the, all the single releases from that, but it didn't have a lot of live stuff. So going into the live stuff, that was where, to me, it's more like jazz, where, um, the Miles Davis era stuff that I like, which is the fusion period, isn't so much dependent upon it being a song. It's more about, just sort of letting go and seeing where it goes. Hmm. And to me, that, that to me is where the Grateful Dead is. It's, it's almost like a rock version of a, of a jazz free-for-all. It's a good analogy. Cause I know exactly what you're talking about. When, when a jazz musician is in the pocket and really feeling it, it's really kind of irrelevant what the song is. It's really more just about the passion of the moment. Exactly. And I think that's where they're, I think that's from the live albums that I've heard, it seems like that's where they, they really hit their groove, and that makes me understand why they've been such a long-time great live band, because it's not really about the single you heard on the record. It's where it goes from there when they go live. Interesting. Because you know, I've always wondered, I've always been suspicious of that whole thing about what an awesome live act they are, since their audience is always under the influence of heavy drugs. <laughs> and I've always wondered, are these really the most reliable people to be telling us how awesome they are live? Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. But I think, and this is kind of one of those things where I wonder, I wonder how much they themselves are using drugs, like, when they're playing. Because I think, you know, if you... There's that kind of knock where, like, uh, the late era Beatles, where everyone said that they were using drugs, and, you know, the Grateful Dead, known as a hippie band, and, you know, associated with a drug culture. But I think, you know, having, having, you know, played music and stuff and done it under an influence, it's impossible to sound good being, I mean, it just, it, to, at least for me, was, you know, I, confusing and you know you did crap and and then it sounded wonderful you at the time and you listen back to the tapes and you're like what is that who's killing a cat yeah that's just man i thought this was brilliant (laughs) so you know it may be the 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 fans may be under the influence but i think the musicians are not and they are doing an excellent job so if somebody wanted to start, if somebody wanted to... Do, so first of all, would you say that, that people should definitely start with a particular live album, or should they start with a particular studio album for the dead? I think it depends on where you... Uh, what you know of them. I mean... Uh, Touch of Grey. Yeah. See, if, all you, if you know the pop stuff, then you know their catchiest stuff. I'd say uh, if you if you want to go pop, then go to the studio albums because that's really the more, you know, watered down three and a half minute something or other that you're going to, you know, get. And then if you enjoy that enough, then you can go exploring the, 
you know, uh, live realms. But if you like jazz, if you like jam bands, if you like uh, prog rock, then I'd say just go live. You know, and go with the Dix picks. I mean, those seem to be quality stuff. And I, I don't remember having listened to a few of those. I don't remember any of the song tracks. Because again, it just sort of like seemed almost irrelevant that it's more about you know what they're playing than what the song is. Yeah. Is there any particular volume of Dick's picks you would recommend? Uh, well, just for my own, uh, the one I've listened to the most is the second one, which was recorded in uh, Cleveland, Ohio. Hmm. All right, very good. Uh, a, another older group that I decided to do a deep dive was the Eagles. And uh, my thinking behind it was this. Um, everybody knows the Eagles' greatest hits, the stuff that is played on classic rock radio so much. You're smiling. I did the exact same thing. <laughs> and you also know that um, you love those songs and that they're really good and that they hold up to hundreds of listenings. Absolutely. And you also know that the Eagles were releasing music in an era where the labels were not squeezing every last single out of an album. They were, you know, basically by the time you'd reached your third single, it was time for the next album to come out, whether there were still more singles left on that record or not. Mm -hmm. And so if you're like me, you're thinking, well, there must be this whole other shadow history of the Eagles out there of songs that are just as good, just as memorable, that just were not released as singles because of radio station <laughs> politics. Yep. And so if you're like me, you buy up all of those albums <laughs> and you find out that's not the case. <laughs> <laughs> not at all. I mean, I'm, I'm glad I'm not the only one that thought this because I'm like, Really? <laughs> Did they just, like, give up on the rest of the album? They're like, three singles, all right, fuck it. Let Joe sing. I don't, it's just like, wow. Yeah, they're not. I mean, yeah. So. I think Hotel California, which I think would probably be their most popular album, yeah. is also their most listenable full album. But, like, Desperado? Yeah, Desperado is bad. Um, my, my, the two favorites, um, I felt that On the Border was not too bad, and um, uh, One of These Nights. One of These Nights is probably my favorite album hmm. of theirs. Um, I did not, uh, when I was doing this, I did not get um, the last two because I was more interested in the kind of country rock California sound than I was when they kind of went harder and and more rock. And plus, I was already pretty well familiar with Hotel California because like seven of the nine songs get played on classic rock yeah, radio. exactly. And then The Long Run is actually one of my favorite Eagles songs, but I had heard that the last album was such a putrid pile of contractual obligation to not even bother. <laughs> so I didn't. Yeah, I, I didn't enjoy it. So it's it's not I mean it's it's just it's just it's really quite incredible how virtually every good song of theirs you can hear on the radio if you just turn it on. Well, you know, I when when I when I did the exact same thing and I I listened to everything back and I said, you know, um considering how um it seems how marketing savvy they are 
you know, uh, I, I guess I can't be surprised that they have, you know, because they have, you know, it seems like they have six or seven different uh, greatest hits albums mm-hmm. that at, at some point they would have found every single good nugget <laughs> left and sold it to you. If there was anything left, even if they had a, like an unreleased track, they would have by now sold it to you. Yeah. And, and what I found incredible was that I actually found, as an album, I actually found The Long Road Out of Eden, which is this bloated, two-hour-long, two-CD album that they, you know, they, they did put out through Walmart a few years ago. Yeah. I find it more consistent than, as, as an album, mm-hmm. than the stuff from their classic period. Uh, Hotel that, California, notwithstanding. Yeah. But that's interesting that just as for the theme of the uh, of the uh, of the episode, that's one of those ones I always meant to listen to, but I never got around to it. So hmm, I'll have to go listen to that. I mean, it, it's going to try your patience, man, because like I said, it's it's two hours long. There are um, been odd that it was a two album set after they haven't been around for forever. Yeah, there there are two songs on there that are over. But 10, it was over two albums long. Two albums and Walmart was only selling it for like eight bucks or something, right? <laughs> yeah, they were they were definitely doing the the Walmart thing. They were selling it as like a single, as a single album. Yeah, that's I I, I don't mind that. I don't think you and I had talked about that um, before. There's an excellent review on AllMusic.com, which uh, says that pretty much you can listen to it and you can as you're as you're enjoying a song, you can think of its antecedent from the seventies. <laughs> And so that's it's it, it is I don't want to you know just come out and say that it's full of rewrites of past hits because that's a little snarky and not 100% accurate but you definitely can hear a lot of echoes of specific older songs echoes in a good way um or echoes in a kind of I think it all depends on your perspective <laughs> for me it does not bother me okay. but I can totally understand how someone would listen to it and find it to be um an easy way out or cynical, or or whatever. Hmm. Um, the Eagles are just one of those crazy cases because they've got this really bad reputation for being these cynical schlockmeisters, and I just think that's mainly because of the pure force of Don Henley's personality, and a lot of people just <laughs> seem to hate Don Henley. I mean, nobody thinks of Glenn Fry yeah. or, or Joe Walsh or the guy with the long hair that nobody can remember his name, Timothy Schmidt. Nobody thinks Don nobody. something wasn't wasn't there a Don in there? Well, he's out of the band. They fired oh. him. Oh, I did. <laughs> <laughs> and then he wrote a book about it. Oh, oh nice. Uh, so yeah, it's called "Fuck You, Eagles." <laughs> so I mean, I think the Eagles are a national treasure. I really do. I mean, they're one of oh, the, yeah. they're one of America's best bands. Um, but they're complicated. What were you going to say? Um, didn't Glenn Fry just release a new album? He did. He's he's gone the. Um, oh, did you do a standards album yes, or cover? Yes. Really? <laughs> wow, that is disappointing. I would like to hear new music from him. Yeah, all the uh, all the articles have been like, uh, you know, his first new album in what fourteen, fifteen years, and I'm thinking, okay, if it's standards, if you're if you're covering, if it's a covers album, not a new album. Sorry. No. Yeah, that's not. Yeah, his first album. Not a new album. No. Well, uh, interesting. I had no idea that you had gotten schnookered by the Eagles, too. Yeah. 
That's odd that <laughs> independently we both pulled this. Well, you just, you figure they have all those albums and the songs that you've heard are great. And, you know, like with the, the dead, you're like, okay, if that's the songs that I know, then what, you know, whatever, what do I don't know or what do I not know from them? And that's, you know, I think the impetus for pretty much this whole episode is, you know, what, uh, to me, I was thinking, when you were talking about that, I was thinking about Robert Palmer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I loved, uh, his last two pop albums, the Riptide and, uh, Simply Irresistible. Heavy Nova. Uh, Heavy Nova, thank you. Sorry, that was the single. And from there, he went to Standards, which is unfortunate. But, uh, from those two, they were such great, um, catchy rock pop albums, and I'm like, wow, this guy has a whole career. And I remembered, it was one of those things where later I remembered, oh yeah, I remember him from the 80s. He had a song called Clues, mm-hmm. which was a really early 80s uh, video hit, mm-hmm. but it was very much more synth pop. Very new wave. Yes. And so I was like, wow, I wonder what uh, what else he has. And I've uh, listened to a, a numerous one of his uh, albums, and oh, I also listened to his uh, Greatest Hits, which was also pulling from the uh, earlier synth-pop new wave stuff, and there's some really good songs in there, and um, I remember just, I can't remember, I think it was from the Clues album, that there was a non- uh, a single that I never, or a song that I never heard released as a singer or something called Sulky Girl, S-U-L-K-E-Y. Mm-hmm. And it's an excellent song with a great guitar rift. Huh. Guitar riff. And, uh, but, you know, for, for a lot of it, there wasn't, um, too much that wasn't released as a single. Um, but like, you know, he did a cover of, uh, Pressure Drop, which was a reggae hit. But, and, uh, some guys have all the luck, which I think was a Rod Stewart song, or I'm not sure who, who actually wrote it. Yeah, that was one of those kind of songs for hire. So okay. a lot of people did, Covered. did versions of that. But yeah, I mean, uh, Palmer was kind of a stylistic chameleon. Mm-hmm. So if you like one era of his, of his music, it does not necessarily mean you're going to like the other eras. Exactly. He went through his, um, kind of blue-eyed soul phase, he went through his reggae phase, he went through his new wave phase, and then, uh, after the power station, um, I mean, pretty much with Addicted to Love, he just tried to mimic, I mean, it was pretty much the power station 2.0. It was the power station without the other guys. And uh, he did a wonderful job. Uh, <laughs> I love, I love Rip 10. I think that is a great overall, you know, top to bottom album. I don't like it as much as you do. And I actually, my favorite song off of there is I Didn't Mean to Turn You On. Oh, great I, song. I have always liked that 10 times more than Addicted to Love. Well, I think Addicted to Love has been heard too much. I mean, I think it's a good song, but it's not a great song. And once you play it on 80s rock you know, channels 10,000 times, you kind of go, okay, I, I get it. But I still think it's a good song. But the the singles, you know, uh, Hyperactive. Hyperactive is, that's, 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 oh. my, that's my second favorite off that record. Even Trick Bag was a good song. Um, yeah, it's just, yeah, I really... But probably my favorite Robert Palmer performance is from uh, a, a very short song on the Power Station record called Still in Your Heart. Hmm. It's the uh, it's the ballad that closes off the the record. And it's, it's, it's my favorite Robert Palmer vocal performance. And, uh, it's just a, it's a short little three minute 
thing. Uh, it's got a killer sax solo in it, and I just have always loved hmm. loved that song. Do you know if he did he ever perform live with, with them with the Power Station? The only time that I'm aware is on Saturday Night Live. Wow. And on the reissue, uh, the deluxe reissue of um, the Power Station's first album, they have the uh, video of their performance on SNL. Really? Yeah. Well, that'd be cool. I don't think I've ever seen that. I'm pretty sure they did Some Like It Hot and Bang a Gong. Oh, well, yeah, there you go. That's all you need. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, I think that, uh, this is, we're getting off track here a little bit, but I, I think, I think there's kind of a cult of people out there who appreciate the first Power Station album as one of the best albums of the 80s. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, album. and then there are other people who just think that it's what the Duran Duran guys did on the side. <laughs> yeah. Wasn't that that Duran Duran thing? But I, I just think it's one of the best, most intriguing records of the decade. And uh, I think it really holds up very well. Yeah, I think... Good, good album. It, it's, it has uh, stood the test of time for being a quality uh, album. So do you have another... Another artist. Um, well, the one you brought up before we uh, kicked the mics on, Radiohead, and was leads into both my that and Black Keys. Okay. And both of those are ones that I keep hearing everyone, you know, from you know fans to friends to rock critics, telling me that both of those are just the most amazing bands ever. And I keep listening to them, going. I want to hear what everyone else says is awesome because I'm just not hearing it. Uh, you've listened and been Radiohead, so what do you think of them? Well, and I'm always very skeptical of critics' darlings because mm-hmm. I've seen enough of them in my life that I just I don't get it. <laughs> I never got REM. I never yeah. got Nirvana. Yeah. Um, I never really got the cult of Elvis Costello. <laughs> I'm not saying Elvis Costello is a bad guy. I'm just saying I never got the cult of Elvis Costello. I, I got the cult of Graham Parker. That I understood. <laughs> but the cult of Elvis Costello, I just didn't get. And so um, I was you know, just very skeptical when you hear the platitudes that are ladled on Radiohead. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, okay... Okay, radio. Or basically, okay, basically, okay, computer, okay, computer, and Kid A. People are saying are like two of the greatest albums of all time ever released, and but for different reasons. Yeah, and and then when they kind of describe, uh, when they're trying to describe it, that's when I started getting even more skeptical because, to me, if an album is the best album, one of the best albums ever released, it's because of one of two or both reasons. Excellent songs or excellent performance or both of those together. And then as they're describing these records, they're basically saying that they're awesome because they don't have songs. Yeah. And I'm thinking, if you think that an album is awesome because it doesn't have songs, you're kind of a pretentious dick. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's pretty much where I've been coming from. So I did. I tried to listen to OK Computer. And I... This is going to sound terrible. I lasted two songs. (laughs) (laughs) And the first song sounded like... 
Bad David Bowie from the Berlin years. <laughs> and the second song sounded like Bad Grunge. Mm. And I was just kind of like, okay, thank you. <laughs> thank you, critics, darlings. Bye-bye. Yeah. And I don't, that was off of OK Computer. Uh, Kid A is supposed to be more, even, even more kind of technologically inclined. And since it seems like with newer music, quote unquote, uh, I can stomach dance music a lot easier than I can the new kind of rock music. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll probably give Kid A a try and see what I think. But so that's my Radiohead experience. Yeah, uh, I love Creep from their like first album, like the first single they ever did. And from everything I've ever read, they hate that song and they don't ever want to make a catchy pop song again. Okay, done. <laughs> I was just, it just, it, it, everything about what I read of people who talk about them sounds obnoxious and pretentious. And then I listen to the music and I'm like, it's, 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 it's okay, it's fine. I just don't hear, I don't hear greatest album ever released. That's what I'm missing. Yeah. Is that I don't hear something that changes my entire life. I mean, it's just, from the from the uh, gracious you know attitude that people have you know uh, ladled their praise upon these things, I I just you know I I don't I don't hear what that is. It's okay. It's just you know it's not any better or worse than a million other bands I've listened to. And then as far as the Black Keys go, uh, you know they're from around here. Yes, which had, is, I, I hate saying that I'm not a big fan of theirs since they're from the area. But, but they, they did move. Away. They did move away, like all they're successful Nashville, I think people now. do. So they're in Nashville now. So f them. Um, but back when they were the hometown heroes, I tried extra hard. Yeah. To to kind of you know get into them, and uh, wasn't it the the White Stripes, the band that they are. Um, Alleged to have ripped off. Didn't the White Stripes have an album called Icky Thump? Yes. Icky Thump, I think, can describe the drumming of Patrick Carney. <laughs> He's a terrible drummer. <laughs> and when that's half of your band mm. and it's terrible, it's kind of hard to rebound from that. He's just so dull. It's just, uh, I don't know, I just find their songs boring. I do too. Well, uh, to me, when I hear their songs, it makes me want to listen to old blues records. And, cause it seems like that's where they're trying, you know, they're trying to get this whole, you know, Memphis Delta Blues things going on. And, you know, they're, you know, they're doing kind of a, um, we listen to this and now here's our, you know, modern take upon this. But their modern take really doesn't sound that modern. And it doesn't really sound that new to me because I've listened to where, to what influenced them. So I don't hear, and to me, I wonder, you know, if you're, if you're a 20 something that has never heard old blues records, maybe this is your introduction to it, which if that's the case, great. I hope that you listen to the Black Keys and then go, hey, you know what? I want to listen to their influences because that's how it worked for me when I listened to Jimi Hendrix. I listened to Jimi Hendrix and said, wow, he's awesome. Who influenced him? And that's when I, you know, went and listened to Sun House and Moody, or, uh, Muddy Waters and, you know, just really found out, you know, where that was. And, you know, those are great fucking albums. But, you know, when I listen to Black Keys, I don't hear... 
I don't hear new amazing. I hear old amazing done by, you know, newer people. And I guess what I hear, and I know that uh, the Black Keys, they've, they've taken some pot shots at Nickelback, which is fine with me because Nickelback is horrible. But I actually think that the Black Keys sort of sound like Nickelback covering a blues song. Because, oh, wow. because when I, when I, when I think, when I think of Nickelback, I think of, uh, very plodding, mechanical, um, you know, just. And that to me kind of is, that's, that's, that's the only drumming that Patrick Carney knows. Very dull, very, maybe it's sloppier than a click track, but basically a click track. Uh, and that to me is not the blues. No. The blues is a lot more fluid than that. Not that I'm an authority on blues, but I just... Well, and that could be, you know, like I was saying, the, their modern take upon old blues is that their modern take is a click track. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know what this thing needs? Less feel. <laughs> so, I mean, I honestly do. I think the Black Keys have got a lot more in common with Nickelback than they realize. Um... We have t- a couple of artists that I've gotten into in the last uh, several years. We've talked about on uh, other shows, and so I don't know how much time I'm going to spend on them. But uh, Glenn Fry and uh, Glenn Fry, Glenn Campbell, <laughs> Glenn Campbell and Isaac Hayes. Yes, and those are two artists that was it was the same kind of a thing where, uh, you know, I realized that I really liked the sound of uh, black exploitation soundtracks, and Isaac Hayes did the king of the black exploitation soundtracks with Shaft. Bought it, liked it, got into it from there, and pretty much now I have like 18 Isaac Hayes albums, and wow. I love them all. Awesome. Uh, Glenn Fry, Glenn Fry, why do I keep calling him that? <laughs> Glenn Campbell uh, realized that I always admired the stuff he did with Jimmy Webb. Uh, Wichita Lineman, uh, Galveston, by the time I get to Phoenix, and found out that there was uh, an album comprised entirely of compiling all of the Jimmy Webb songs that Glenn Campbell had recorded throughout his career. Hmm. And so I bought that and figured I'd be done. And since they were from all eras, stuff from the 60s through the 80s, uh, found enough stuff in there that it made me want to seek out the albums that those songs appeared on, whether or not the other songs were written by Jimmy Webb or not, and discovered that there was a lot of stuff that I liked. And so pretty much now have you know, snapped up everything that uh, I can possibly find. And in fact, there's a, a label, a record label in Australia called Raven, that has put out a couple of uh, excellent twofers of his records from the 70s. And uh, the first one has got the Rhinestone Cowboy album and an album called Bloodline and then a couple of bonus tracks, which is probably my favorite single disc that I own of his. Then the next one has got the next two albums, Southern Nights and uh, an album called Basic. And I mean, I can put those songs on my uh, car CD player. And just listen to them for two weeks straight and never <laughs> pop them out. So, uh, just really loved it. Um, so that's kind of a, a brief look at that. Kind of getting back into the California sound though is Fleetwood Mac was one of those bands that 
I was never really interested in their Peter Green years, but I mm-hmm. was interested in doing a deeper dive into the Lindsey Buckingham and uh, Stevie Nicks kind of years. Because yeah. do you have any? Do you have any Fleetwood Mac albums? Um, I, I have Tusk on an eight track and an LP and a cassette, and I really I love Tusk. I think it's a great album. That's okay. Then we can probably just jump the track then, because what I wanted to get to was Tusk. Because I, I did decide that I was going to get every um, Buckingham Nicks Fleetwood Mac album, and I got Tusk. And I remember posting on Facebook after listening to it that Tusk is what cocaine sounds like, <laughs> and I just find it to be an unfocused mess. Oh yeah, that's what that's pretty much everyone thinks it's a pile of shit. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why I don't know why I love the album so much, but I, I just think it's a uh, a wild, interesting um, sort of collage that just, someone just sort of like mixed pieces together, but in a way that I found totally inter- entertaining. I mean, I I, I can see how you know uh, how people can say it's unfocused and. You know, it's very weird, and it's very, very much not like their big hits. No. You know, I mean, the, the, you, know, you look at, you know, the, the self-titled album, you look at uh, Rumors, and I think it was intentionally um, hard to hard to get into. It's like they sort of said, um, we'll give you some quality pop songs, but we're going to bury them you know, in the middle of wild, crazy, hard-to-listen-to stuff. So good luck to you. What I find interesting is Lindsey Buckingham is my favorite member of Fleetwood Mac, and I actually have enjoyed his solo career probably more than I have enjoyed the stuff he did with Fleetwood Mac. Yeah. Which, let me put that in proper perspective, I love the stuff he did with Fleetwood Mac, and I like his solo stuff even more. Uh, and so since this was kind of like supposed to be Lindsey Buckingham's show, I thought, well, I'm going to love this. And yet, I don't. Hmm. Too unfocused for you? Uh, or too not enough Lindsey? I mean, you don't hear him enough in it? I mean, what would you say? I think it's got plenty of Lindsey. It, it's almost like... Um, Watching Lindsay go through adolescence, and it makes me uncomfortable, I think. Hmm. Uh, that, that might be the, the best way to put it. Probably not 100% accurate, but it's... I can listen to it, and I can see how he became the guy that I love so much, but it's just, it's not there yet. And and I do, I just, I hear... I hear the drug influence so right between the eyes. And it's what's really amazing about that to me is that heaven only knows how many albums out there were recorded under the influence of drugs mm-hmm. that I've listened to and have either completely missed it or it's not so in my face that it just sails over my head. But with this record, as I listen to it, it's just like these are very unhappy people that are under the influence of a lot of drugs, and it's just so hard to listen to. <laughs> well, yeah, that's uh, uh, just like... Three or four days ago, we watched the, uh, Netflix has, which for everyone else who loves music, if you like those classic album series where they go in depth for like an hour over a, over one album, they, they just put a whole ton of them on Netflix's, uh, streaming service. So, you know, they have, uh, 
Paranoid by Black Sabbath and American Girl from Tom Petty and uh, American Beauty from uh, Grateful Dead. And they also have uh, Fleetwood Mac's Rumors, which uh, we were watching. And that was an excellent you know thing. Some of them were done within the last 10 years, but like the Paranoid was just done like two years ago. So this one was probably done, you know, five to ten years, you know, five to eight years ago after they had uh, reunited and uh, um, all of that. Um, and then they sort of looked back on it and they were talking to uh, Stevie Nicks and she said, she was talking about how, you know, there was just, there was a lot of cocaine. <laughs> just, we really did a lot. <laughs> and, you know, and that was, you know, what, a year, year and a half before they started do working on Tusk. Yeah. So, yeah, if there was if there was a hell of a lot of partying on rumors, they must have just gone hog wild by the time Tusk was going on. By the way, I've seen the um, uh, original album series they did on Face Value from hmm. Phil Collins, so if you get a chance to see that. I, I put that in my queue. I've never seen that. It was excellent, excellent. Uh, I think I think I as we've kind of been uh, talking here, I've, I can tell you in one word why Tusk bothers me. It is it sounds to me it sounds joyless. Hmm. I guess I can still hear the joy in it. I mean, I still hear. Uh, um, I don't know. I, I I'll have to listen to it again, but I I, I thoroughly enjoy the. Uh, to me, it sounds odd, like someone unsure of what they're doing, like they're, you know, uh, like they're just sort of exploring what they can do. And it, it, to me, I can sort of, you know, to me, I kind of see like they're um, like they're exploring the, the the concepts, some sort of concepts that they don't quite figure out, but they're kind of like trying to work them out in a studio, mm-hmm. which is a odd place to try and do that but it's I, to me it kind of sounds like some of those you know studio magicians like a uh, like a Brian Wilson where they just kind of try and figure out what's in their head and how technology can help them get it out of there and so I find it as a uh, entertaining look inside of Lindsay Buckingham's head because I really think that they just sort of whether they intentionally said do it all yourself or whether they were too drug addled to figure out how to stop him from doing everything else. It really to me seems like this was Lindsay's album and they were you know, the rest of the band was just sort of their pieces in his puzzle. Yeah, the way that I've always heard it explained is that pretty much Lindsay asserted himself and said, I'm better than the rest of you, so F off F <laughs> off I'm doing this and that caused a lot of friction. Yeah, I can see that. But in the same way, um, I don't know why, they just had a reunion picture of uh, the Beach Boys, and they're all standing around <laughs> Brian Wilson, who's sitting at the thing. Brian has this huge smile on his face, and Mike Love is still in the background with the kind of, like, fuck you kind of smile. <laughs> and, you know, it, to me, that that to me is like what the, the Tusk album is. It's like Lindsay with a big smile and everyone else with the kind of fuck you smile in the background. <laughs> But I still th- I still hear lots of interesting. That's, that's actually a great comparison because yes, Mike Love does not understand that he is not as talented as Brian Wilson. <laughs> yes, he cannot be convinced of that. He's really resentful of the fact <laughs> that people think that Brian is more more talented than him because he doesn't see it. Wow, that is. I wonder what the c- color of sky is in his world. 
Uh, now, when you're talking about studio music, uh, magicians, I'm glad, so glad you mentioned that because it reminds me of another band from the 70s that I did a deep dive on, and I will call them the Anti-Eagles because mm. they are another group that has got a ton of FM radio hits. And so you're telling yourself, well, there must be just layers and layers and layers of other good stuff on their albums. And I, I bought every single 1970s Steely Dan album. Ooh. And I can tell you that there is a lot of good stuff in there to be unearthed. Really? Okay. Uh, I would stay away from the first album simply because this is really weird. They had two lead vocalists on their first album. Really? They had... Uh, did they have any singles from it? They did. They had a, a good singles. Actually, one of my favorite songs, Really in the Years, is <laughs> is off of that. But it's, it's one of those records that every time there's a song on there with um, Fagin singing, you're like, hey, cool, Steely Dan. And then when the other singer, who looks like Kevin Cronin from REO Speedwagon, <laughs> is singing, you're like, yeah. <laughs> Let's go through the end. Ditched him after the first album, but so I've no. I honestly, what I've heard is that uh, Fagan was not uh, comfortable with the sound of his own voice, and, and he does. Uh, have, he does have a you know kind of a strange sounding voice, mm-hmm. and so the uh, the other guy has got more of your kind of typical lead singer voice, uh. and but it just since we're we're so used to Fagan being the singer now, it just sounds really. Weird. Weird, you know that's that's interesting. Uh, but yeah, they they really they were they were a group that you can tell uh, labored over their albums and kind of the Def Leppard of the seventies uh, rock. Well, and and that they just they wanted every song to be good. Okay, well, the, not like the Def no. Leppard because they 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 labored on those, but they didn't seem to matter as much. If they. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. If, if every song was amazing, yeah. So I mean, I, you really you can't go wrong with uh, uh, Asia, uh, Katie Lied, uh, Pretzel Logic. Uh, I like Gaucho. Gaucho gets kind of a bum rap because it was their last album of the classic period, but mm-hmm. I love Gaucho. Uh, I mean, any one of those. Uh, there was uh, the, my favorite podcast to listen to is called Never Not Funny, and uh, Jimmy Pardo is the host of it, and he loves. Uh, 70s and 80s bands, and he had just recently I saw one where he was talking about seeing them at a reunion and, with his friend, and they were expecting to at least hear some, if not all, of their you know big hits. You know, it was a very long concert. They played for you know two and a half hours, and they said, uh, "How many of their like top ten songs do you think they played in that time?" None. <laughs> They said that there was a a guy there sitting next to who was a huge fan and has brought his kid with them to experience the awesomeness. And, you know, they're like half an hour in and they're all looking around going, what? What the hell are they playing? Because they're playing the deepest cuts possible. I mean, the stuff that nobody has listened to in you know since the seventies, and they just keep playing all of these <laughs> songs. And by the end of the thing, they said everybody walked out like zombies, like someone smacked them in the head. They were all just dazed. I was like, you know, that's they have a uh, an air of pretentiousness, mm-hmm. and. 
I don't hear it in their music, but I hear it when some people talk about them. So when you listen to the 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 era of the, the those songs, it's still the you know happy effervescent seventies rock that we know. It's not like they you know stuck a twelve sweet you know uh, obnoxious prog rock sort of thing on the rest of the album. Well, or there are just like pop songs, or well, what they're you know what they're known for is the very sophisticated you know kind of jazz influenced. Uh, Backing tracks, which that evolved over the course of their career, it became more noticeable with kind of uh, each album. But then they're also known for um, lyrics that are, because of Fagan's detached singing style, uh, he gets away with some pretty dark lyrics that maybe upon first listen you don't realize how dark they are. And... Hmm. So I would not really say happy or effervescent describes it, but I don't think that really describes a lot of their stuff. I'm maybe not happy, but catchy. Oh yeah, it's it's just it is, musically it's all it's all excellent. And uh, but I guess where it comes in is the, the, the probably the easiest uh, <laughs> the easiest uh, comparison is from the album Katie Lied. There's a song called Everyone's Gone to the Movies. That is uh, catchy as hell, but is sung from the perspective of a pedophile. Alrighty then. <laughs> and so it's kind of hard to enjoy the catchiness. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've, I've always uh, uh, thought about that as uh, um, Seventeen from Winger. Mm-hmm. It's an incredibly catchy, riffy uh pop rock song but then the entire lyrics are like something about like you know uh i want to fuck her but she's only 17 it's like really you waste a catchy awesome pop rock song on banging underage chicks well, the, actual, okay. the actual lyric is her daddy says she her her daddy says she's too young but she's old enough for me yeah yeah <laughs> oh rock and roll so you got any others? Um, Where are we at, by the way? We are at 54, 54 minutes. Okay. So we're getting close to the end for the 60-minute attention span. Yeah, so we probably will skip the Doug Benson game yes, this I week. Yes, I think we'll have to, yes. Um, you know, uh, I, I think the the funniest, this probably won't be a long one, but I remember being in uh, high school, early high school, maybe uh, ninth, 10th grade, and the the band Pink Floyd was coming to town to <laughs> play at the uh, Ohio Stadium, Ohio State Stadium, you know, bringing in the floating pig and all that kind of stuff. And I had not listened to Pink Floyd at that time, but I, you know, everyone around me in that time was like, "Oh my God, I can't wait! All oh, these—it's going to be amazing." I think it would have been the Momentary Lapse of Reason tour. Okay, and. uh I just, you know, having never paid any attention to them, I was just getting into Hendrix at the time, so I wasn't really hitting classic rock yet. And, uh, so that, that was, that was me, you know, missing the boat on, you know, what Pink Floyd was. So I actually probably, you know, could have gotten tickets and gone to see them, you know, before they, you know, turned into whatever they've turned into now. This disbanded, let's, you know, reunite once every, you know, 
decade for a couple of songs and then piss on each other for the rest of the time. Uh, so, you know, I, I, since I've listened to them, since then I've listened to them and I love their catalog, but I just remember distinctly going, Pink Floyd, who the fuck cares? <laughs> Yeah, uh, that's another band, actually. Uh, the, the Pink Floyd. Uh, well, I've heard Pink Floyd enough. Thanks to Classic Rock Radio, I never need to hear Pink Floyd again. And so consequently, if I'm somewhere and Pink Floyd comes on and I have control over the channel, it it's gone. Did I mention uh, Brit Floyd? Um, the, cover, the cover band? Yeah. Yeah, you did. Okay, good. Did, so, you, go, did you go see it? Yeah. Yeah, we, uh, we saw them and they put on a fabulous cover show for, again, since I'm not going to go out and be able to see them back in 72 when they were putting out Wish You Were Here or something. You know, it, it, they were recreating, you know, uh, a stage show using, you know, uh, they must have some sort of tie with the band because they were using props and, uh, effects and lighting and video from that era and it was, uh, it was a phenomenal performance. Nick knows that Wish You Were Here was 1975. He's just messing oh, with Oh, I think it was uh, Dark Side of the Moon was 72. There you one, go. One of them was 72. <laughs> yeah, I, my my favorite album is Wish You Were Here, which was 75, but 72 was. See, I told you he knew. Okay, we're good. We're done. Yes. Moving on. Um, promoting the Facebook page. Yes. Facebook, me and Mr. 80s. M-E space A-N-D space M-I-S-T-E-R space 8-0-S. Me and Mr. 80s. Like us on Facebook. Come yeah, on. Yeah, come on. You lazy bastards. <laughs> um, shoot us an email, Mr. 80s at rocketmail.com. We're still taking your Live Aid stories. <laughs> nobody has still sent in, but... Join in. Come on, folks. You know you want to. And uh, do, do they need to know that we've uh, switched uh, the, where the place is housed, or do they know that already? Actually, I, I haven't switched it over yet anyway, oh. it's, so it's in both places. All right. Well, then you, you can either find us on, uh, on podbean.com or blueberry, B-L-U-R-R-Y.com. Is that really how you spell it? That sounded like blurry. You just spelled blurry. Well, they, they took out the... They took out the E's or something, or they took out the I don't know. I think there should be an extra B in there somewhere. You spelled blurry. B L U R R Y. That's blurry. B L U B R B R I. Oh, fuck it. <laughs> well, do a Google search. If you find us, good. <laughs> good night, Bruno Kirby, wherever you are.